Hello, Monetization Nation. Welcome back to another episode with Gordon Glenister, an expert in influencer marketing and the author of Influencer Marketing Strategy. In the last episode, we discussed the benefits of online communities and memberships. Today, we will discuss three secrets of influencer marketing. There's another strategy we've been talking a lot about on the show, and it's called passion marketing mm. to help help address this uh, attention economy issue. And what we do is we find the level 10 passions, the highest level passions of our ideal customers. And then we build our entire business, our products and our services and our messaging around helping people achieve those highest priorities in their lives. Mm. And I don't know if you have any any thoughts for us on on that passion marketing strategy uh, or examples. Well, um, I tell you what I do believe in is that people are now less interested in sheer product advertising. It's as much about cause uh, cause advertising. Is what do you what do you believe in? What is what's yes. your what is your passion? Is it saving the planet? Is it uh, gender equality? Is it um, uh, you know some of the uh, sustainability, which of course is a big, big topic. So I think what, particularly amongst Gen Zs and um, millennials, people want to know that when I buy from you, what difference are you making as well? Um, I mean, I'm not saying it's a it's a deal breaker, but it's another added benefit as to why somebody would want to buy from you. Or equally, the reverse is true. If you are not, if you, if an employer is not seen to be looking after his staff. Or is is just you know um, not not sending the right messages out that can work against them um, as as well. Uh, people love to know that it's a great place to work, and I love it when you get CEOs. And we did this in the report actually, the social CEO report that I alluded to a little bit earlier. Um, we were looking at uh, individuals. That, that that were really passionate about something. So there's a there's an individual in there that was uh, the CEO of the Wildlife Trust, and of course what he did is he took lots of pictures uh, of nature, he looked of, of rivers and and wildlife and all of those bits and pieces. So you you really felt that he was living and breathing what he was talking about. Um, so it's I always think passion is linked to sort of storytelling as well. And if you look at some of the best performing posts on social media, they are the human interest elements, the ones that have a, a bit heartfelt. You know, we react a whole lot more to emotion than just promotional broadcast. Um, we don't want the sort of over selfie, over curated, photoshopped imagery. What we want to know is what's at the heart of that individual, that person, that brand. Okay, you talked a little bit earlier about a report that you generated. It's the uh, COVID impact report. Mm -hmm. Can you share with us some of the key takeaways from that? Because obviously this pandemic and, and the, the impact of that pandemic is a huge tectonic shift that's changing the business landscape. What can, what can we learn from that impact report you created? Yeah, well, um, there were um, a, a number of things that I mean, I, what the reason why I wanted to have to do this report is because I wanted to see how trade associations were going to be impacted. So many of them will have made revenue from uh, in-person events, from award ceremonies, from um, from membership, meeting, meeting people, um, pe meeting their members together. 
Um, and what came out of it was that, well, at the time, of course, Nathan, don't forget, we didn't know how long this was going to last for. So some people believed that they would weather the storm <laughs> and that they thought, well, actually, we are with all of our education and our conferences and our in-person, we're just going to put them back. So, of course, what was March last year was then decided to put back until later in the autumn. But, of course, the autumn never came either. And, yeah. of course, this was a big issue for the venues because a lot of the time the associations would have had to have paid down payments and deposits. Never before has somebody looked at their terms and conditions and insurance policies as they did last year. But because COVID was a new, uh, a new disease, it was in most cases uninsured. Uh, so there was a there was a real cash exposure for some of these organisations. I mean, some of the venues have been, were very supportive and being able to put put that put those things back. Um, the other thing that was a big difference was lobbying. So you can imagine governments normally they would see representations from trade associations from time to time but literally every association known to man was trying to lobby government at the same time and that was totally you know unworkable so what happened is some associations many associations combined together uh, uh, and the typical very good example of this was the advertising association and the advertising association uk actually represents 14 other industry bodies and they said they were having weekly meetings with government and um, in those meetings the the uh, government ministers and the various civil servants were saying this has been one of the most productive ways to, for us to reach out to industry that we've ever seen before normally to get all these people together in one place would be really challenging and as you rightly said earlier because something was forced upon them the the speed of which they acted was like 20 times quicker they talked about it um policy making on the hoof <laughs> but but nevertheless it was very very productive on both sides so the associations were learning more about government and vice versa so that that was really productive and that may form a blueprint for the future and then the thing I alluded to a bit earlier was the fact that some of these uh, events that they were considering and worrying about, when they put them online, they realised that they, they could reach a global audience where they wouldn't have before. And whilst the ticket price would have dropped substantially, they were able to still make a profit in some instances. Now, that said, there were some associations that were really suffering, like in the hospitality industry, the events industry, the promotional swag, promotional merchandise industry, because they were directly impacted. And of course, a lot of their members that were cl closed for business just couldn't afford the membership fee. So, you know, it was a, it was a tale of two halves. <laughs> you know, some people have benefited from this pandemic and, and, and others have been, you know, I wouldn't say decimated, but severely impacted. Let's go to your book for a bit. So you, you've written an industry-leading book now on influencer marketing. Can you share with us a couple of the best examples from your book of, of companies that implemented really effective influ influencer marketing campaigns and strategies? Yeah. So there's a company uh, agency called uh, Brave Bison. And Brave Bison um, were a big 
social media agency, PR agency, global actually, and they ran a campaign with the Internet Watch Foundation. Now, um, th this was going to be a very, very sensitive campaign. So they had to reach uh, the right type of influencers and the right type of campaign. So they decided to tackle what is going to be a sensitive issue by using comedy. So they reached out to two influencers, uh, Aaron Kraskell and Iman, who is uh, an Arsenal football player. Um, Aaron Kraskell, by the way, is a uh, big, um, uh, what do you call them, um, influencer, but he's uh, he does these uh, prank prank videos, prankster videos okay. and stuff like that. Yeah, and t together they have about five million followers. Uh, on their on their respective networks. So, um, what actually happened is the first uh, first piece of content they did. So Aaron did a an Arsenal football outfit, which for those of you that don't know is a well known football team in the UK, with Tottenham Hotspur socks, which is their biggest rival. So it's it's the equivalent of having two football teams, soccer teams in America that are really. <laughs> So you can imagine the level of engagement, not all good, <laughs> that he had. You know, what? what's going on? This doesn't look right. And then Aaron was at the gym and he was trying to lift some weights. And he had, uh, but in the mirror behind, you could see there were two people holding the weights. So, of course, people then interacted and say, what's going on? This doesn't look right. And then 24 hours later, they then shared um, another post, which was saying, you probably wondered why the post looked a bit odd. It didn't look quite right. Well, that's a, there's a reason for that because we are talking about the Internet Watch Foundation. And if you see indecent images online that just don't look right, please, please refer them to the Internet Watch Foundation. And I have to say the, the campaign was a phenomenal success. It had something like 8 million views 5.6 million views on Instagram um, and uh, it was multiple times higher than the average engagement rate uh, on I think it's normally about 1.6% engagement rate on Instagram they had 4.3 I think it was so for you know significantly uh, better than that so that was a great great campaign um, and the second one I'm actually going to share is around my book launch, if I and, may. And hold on really quick. Before we go on to the next one, what, is the key, what are the key takeaways we can learn from that first? Ah, okay. Example. So the, the, the key takeaways is, well, first of all, do your research. When, if you're looking around trying to find influencers, um, that is the biggest challenge that people face. So, and it's very, very time consuming, which is why sometimes there are agencies that specialize in this. What you want to do is you want to make sure that those influencers really understand and feel passionately about the cause, because that content will only have worked well if those, those guys were, were on board with the, because bearing in mind, this was a very sensitive subject that they were addressing and it had to be right. And so, yeah, that's the takeaway, really. Do your research, which is my general takeaway with influencer marketing. Research, research, research um, before doing anything else. Um, and if I may, the second one I'm actually going to share with you was my, um, my LinkedIn post for my book launch. I decided to have an online book launch because we were in a pandemic and I had no choice because the publisher said it's got to be on this date. 
So we had over 100 people to the book launch, which was fantastic. But um, the, the post that I did on LinkedIn uh, involved pretty much as many people as were contributors towards the book. So I had over uh, 45 people that had contributed in interviews to, to my book. And I tagged them on my LinkedIn post. But I'd also put a very personal picture. And, you know, I talked earlier about personal stories, sell. Uh, or, you know, when you're, when you're putting a post out there, you want to be authentic. And I like to think I am. Um, but I was able to say, use the post as a thank you and a recognition piece. So although it was a promotion about my book, I, I didn't actually, it wasn't about a promotion. It was about a recognition and a thank you and an element of a journey that I'd gone through. So there were moments where I hated writing the book. <laughs> and I put that in there because people want to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and then, of course, uh, a nice picture of me with the books. Anyway, cut a long story short, I had over 16,000 views, 145 wow. comments, and 15 reshares of that post. So, um, but uh, unfortunately, Nathan, can you imagine if I was creating a post uh, on the on about influencer marketing and I didn't get, I hadn't got many views, so I, I had to make it work. <laughs> Um, the takeaway there was um, be authentic, you know, share some ups and downs. People love that. They don't like promotional broadcasts all the time. Um, sometimes it's not a bad idea to be part of a limited engagement pod. And that means that you've got a bunch of people where you really do just support each other's uh, posts. And what I happen to do there is I spoke to a few friends and I said I was going to post this at eight o'clock. Uh, in the morning, you know, could you could you can you comment and add some thoughts on it? And they said, sure, that's fine. And of course, the way because I'm sure you know how the algorithm works. If people comment very quickly on a post, that uh, LinkedIn pushes it out, you know, faster and 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 quick and faster and uh, to to a greater number of people. And that's of course what I wanted anyway. So yeah. Hmm. Love it. If you had to share with us your three most important secrets to influencer marketing, what would those be? Um, well, definitely one of them I've already shared is is to be authentic. Um, I mean, I, I tend to talk about, you know, be, you know, educate somebody, inspire somebody or entertain them. Those are the three things I often talk about. But, you know, you can add authenticity on top of it. But you've got to remember that what difference are you making to your audience? It's not just doing something for the sake of it. And um, I think lastly, to sort of finish, is just keep an eye on your exemplars and your competitors. Um, what are they doing? Are there any tricks? Because if they're, if they're speaking to the same audience... Uh, there could be some things that they're doing you're missing. I mean, yes, you want to be your own self, but you don't want to miss a trick as well. So uh, keep an eye on your competition and, and exemplars. Yeah, don't reinvent the wheel. We don't have to start everything from scratch. Absolutely. Before we start something new, let's see what the leaders in the space have done and then figure out how we can innovate it and make it uniquely us. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. What makes a great influencer marketing campaign? Um, what makes a great influencer marketing campaign? I think, well, first and foremost, is you've got to set the right goals. You can't measure 
the effectiveness of a campaign if you if you've not set the right goal so are you trying to create greater brand awareness are you trying to drive sales are you uh, and downloads for an app or for your conference um, are you going to are you trying to get people to to come to your website and when people say oh I'm trying to do all of those things well there's a different tactic uh, for for those different strategies, so it's important that you understand what those are. Um, I think when it comes to um, uh, what will make a difference is the right influences and the right content. Quite frankly, so sometimes you can see amazing content creators that aren't necessarily amplifiers. Uh, photographers are very good examples of this. You see, wow, that is amazing. They would be great for my product, but they, they may only have like, I don't know, 3,000 or 1,000 followers on Instagram. And you might say, I want to work with that individual for their content creation. And I want to pay for that. And I want to use that on, on, my, on my marketing collateral, my website and my social media. Then there's an, there's an amplifying influencer that has got, you know, like 100,000 followers. But um, you also need to make sure that you've done your due diligence. Make sure that their follower base is, is authentic and not, you know, bought followers. You need to make sure that, that you've got an understanding of their, of their follower uh, gender profile, of their geolocation so I was speaking to somebody recently, for example, who was about to use a female um, influencer, a fashion influencer, and uh, I was able to tell them that 65% of their follower base were based in America, which for a UK brand that they were looking to promote would have meant that their only available audience is, is, that, is the difference, is that sort of 35%. And then if, if a big percentage of that was male, then and it's a female targeted brand, then the audience availability is reduced still further. So, and that's why there are amazing influencer marketing sourcing tools out there that you can subscribe to, um, or there are influencer marketing agencies that you can work with to enable you to make sure that you get the right people. And it's not to say that nobody can do that themselves, it just takes time and a lot of, a failed influencer marketing campaign is when there aren't any goals set, there aren't any um, brand guidelines, brief contracts in place, the advertising disclosures aren't right, um, there isn't real alignment in the influencer and the brand. Um, so, you know, it's, it's important that you go through a process and that is exactly what I cover in the book. What are the greatest benefits that a business receives by working with influencers? Um, well, it's fundamentally, it's another individual advocating your brand. So if you think about a brand and they start to tell the story from, you know, try to sell you a product, well, of course they would say that, wouldn't they? But when you've got another individual that uh, is independent, but selling your story in a way that is authentic, then that can be phenomenally impactful. Um, and of course, what it could do is it could reach a wider audience, a new market. I have countless examples of where brands have found brand new audiences purely and, sim purely and simply because of an influencer marketing campaign. 
Um, another example is getting real insight and in product research. So there was an example of an agency uh, in um, that had a Brazilian branch, and they uh, they got a client to to work with them on designing a new product with influencers. So they flew a handful of influencers over to this retreat in Brazil for f I think four, three or four days. And um, they were creating the entire advertising mission statement, pretty much the whole shooting match. Um, and um, but whilst this was going on, all the influencers were connecting with their audiences and getting their intel and their feedback. So you can imagine it's not just three people in the room. It's hundreds of thousands of people that are involved in this entire process of building this brand. So, of course, when this brand then came to be launched, you can imagine the impact because all of those follower consumers felt they've been involved in the process from the very conception right the way through to the uh, final product delivery. Thank you so much, Gordon, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, influencer marketing can increase customer trust, expand our reach, and help us with product research and insight. Number two, we should be authentic. We want to work with influencers who already love our brand and have a real engaging following. Number three, influencer marketing requires research. We should research influencers, research our competitors, and research market trends. Number four, we should determine the purpose of our marketing campaigns and what value we want to provide for our customers. Do we want to educate, entertain, or inspire? To learn more about or connect with Gordon, you can find him on LinkedIn, listen to his podcast, or read his book. And there's links to each of those sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get a free ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode, and I wish you success in your influencer marketing. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.